Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode brought to you by the great people at Gamesurplus.com, where you can find the current hits, the classics, and the hard-to-find titles. Let Carmen and Elaine find your games and receive free shipping for all contiguous U.S. shipping orders over $120. Remember, Gamesurplus.com. Great people, great selection, and great prices. And in Canada, amazing stories in Saskatoon. If you're in the Saskatoon area, come by the store for Friday night board games. Play and receive 20% off your purchase of any board games in the store. Amazing Stories is the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Retailer in Canada and nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award presented at Comic-Con. Hey there, this is episode three of Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. I'm Ryan. And on today's episode, we're going to discuss London Second Edition and Shadows Over Camelot. What is a cardboard cohort? Well, cardboard cohorts are board gamers banded together who support and inspire one another and become colleagues and friends in the board gaming community. And with that being said, we would like to support the good, the bored, and the ugly. They have a podcast on iTunes, and they record weekly live stream YouTube content. So please check them out. Welcome back to Cardboard Conjecture, episode three, Ryan, season two. We're rolling. We keep it rolling. rolling. I think we got a groove going on. Rolling. And and, um, we're rolling rolling. down that river. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I just, before we start, I'm. I can't say how happy I am to have our friendly local game store uh, support us in this crazy idea that we're working on. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Jeff, Tony, Jody there at Amazing Stories. Uh, just the nicest people that you'll ever, you'll, you'll ever meet and deal with in, in, on, a, on a personal and professional level. Uh, they, they, they're well, just amazing. They've been in the community since I've gone to university and if I took my hat off to show you the hairline right now, you would know that's a long time. Oh yeah, I've I've been following them f- for quite a while as well. <laughs> just 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 there's like their their small little comic shop there. What was it? It was was it across the street from the university? It was across the street from the university yeah, yeah, in yeah. the basement. And right. I think they also sold like used textbooks and stuff like that. Right, and then, then now they've grown into this like the, the like the, the, the new store. That's oh, it's huge! So, that, that's not so new anymore. It's like it's it's massive, and just the way it's evolved too since they went in that location, it's been great. Oh, it's 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 like geekapalooza. I love it. Okay, well, let's get this stuff going. I'm gonna pitch it to you because um, you you uh, taught this game to me last week, and I am so excited to hear your knowledgeable perspective on it. So, right. Ryan, take it away. I'm kicking off, kicking off this part with, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going back in time to a, what I consider a classic, which usually doesn't happen. Usually, <laughs> usually I'm very culted, the new Kickstarter type of a uh, type of guy, but I'm going, I'm going all the way back to 2005 with a little, with a little days of wonder production known as shadows over Camelot uh, designed by Bruno Cathala, Mr. Bruno and Serge Laggett. I'd actually look up what Serge Leggett uh, uh, did. He did um, um like uh, Cargo Noir. Oh yeah, one of, okay. one of his productions and uh, uh, the the Mare the Mare Nostrum. Oh yeah, uh, for uh, Academy Mar- Games. Mar- yeah, yeah, Mare Nostrum Empires and stuff. Yeah. So so pretty good design pedigree behind this one. Well, that Mare Nostrum, I I'm, I'm that's on my hit list for sure. Right. The artists for this one were Cyril. Um, Delgen and Julian Delval. Hopefully I'm saying those right. And yeah, and I did mention that this was a Days of Wonder production. So it was a very gorgeous uh, looking game. Uh, so I'm going to get right into it. I'm going to go pull up the rule book here and I'm going to kind of give you the, the little overview of what's happening in Shadows Over Camelot. It says, an unladen swallow flies across the gray skies of Cornwall. The forces of evil are gathering around Camelot. The Black Knight was sighted atop a desolate ridge. A scheming Morgan plots her revenge. 
Saxon troops are on the move, and acres of timber are being felled for the siege engines. And yet, Lancelot has all but vanished. Excalibur is still to be recovered, and the Holy Grail remains just a legend. These are troubling times indeed. Will you, young squire, come forth and pledge allegiance to your fellow knights at the round table? Is your heart pure of intent and ready to sacrifice for the good of all? Or will the dark promise of power seduce you into treason? Oh, that, that, that was a really, that's a really good little intro to uh, the school book. It was dripping with drama. Uh, so the mech, the mech, so how, so what's, what's, what's shadows over Camelot here? It's a, at its heart, it's, it's a classic cooperative type of game. Uh, so thinking like your like your pandemics, your forbidden islands, your forbidden uh, deserts, your 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 classic um, cooperative type of nature. Except for this was one of the first ones I think that introduced that you could have a traitor amongst amongst the group, which is a, <laughs> which is a really interesting mechanism that they, that you can throw into a cooperative type, knowing that this there could be somebody at your table that uh, that that could be trying to thwart everybody's plans and make make the game. Uh, make the game win and essentially they win the game. So this is a cooperative game where you are trying to, you and your knights around the night uh, round table are just trying to complete quests. And every time you complete a quest, uh, you get these white swords that go around the, 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 the round table. But every time that you lose a quest, um, black swords come out. And by the end of the game, it's whoever has the majority of swords against around the round table is it, it, eventually going to determine who the winner is. is. Is it the dark forces or is it the forces of good? So you just need to have the majority of swords around the, around the round table. Um, so like, and I said, how you do this is you actually have to go out and you have to complete quests. Uh, so as a group, this is a, this is a very card driven uh, cooperative type of game. So you're going to have like a hand of cards and they do a whole bunch of things, but a majority of these cards have some sort of value on them. One, two, three, four, or five. And it's called a fight card. And you you play these fight cards in certain quests, or there's going to be other ones like Grail cards and uh, other really good cards like a Merlin card can help help out the party and stuff like that. So it's a very card driven game. Uh, yeah. So that that's really <laughs> in a nutshell. It's very it's very very simple. So I'm going to go through my opinions about this game, and then you can jump in at any time, Norm, but when you have your opinions. Oh, for sure. I was just yeah. going to wait till the discussion afterwards because you were doing a really good job on on laying it out. Um, so, like we like to do on this show, is we like to go from the outside, go inside. So we start with the box and everything. So again, the artists here did a very fantastic job. It's a Days of Wonder production. The art um, makes makes it makes it look like it's a kind of like a family fun type of game, like Days of Wonder is really known to do. Um, the graphic design great. The components are amazing. Agreed, because they even went the little extra mile that every night around the round table can have their own little miniature. <laughs> they, 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 they could have had just little cardboard standees and everything, but they actually nice little resin um, or pl plastic little mis miniatures that represents each in the night, and they're all different. And for for the year it came out, that's that wasn't having minis wasn't really popular gaming culture no, like like Simon had created. No, and then there's like little miniature catapults, and there's little miniature like that's right, you know, like 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 the Saxons have their own little miniature to them, and well, even the Excalibur and uh, and oh yeah, and, yeah, Lan Lancelot's armor and yeah, the the little uh, Excalibur type thing, and the, like little Holy Grail, like fan like fantastic uh, little little components there. Um, just now the rule book, like the readability, the layout, learning. So this is one of the games that actually has two rule books kind of to it. Okay. It's kind of got it's, got it's got its main main rule book that kind of outlines like how how like a turn will go and kind of like your basics or it's very easy to read, very easy to follow. You can get a good idea of what's happened. But then there's a second book that's called the quest book, which actually outlines in detail how like, like how do you win at a particular quest. Okay. And in the game. So it's kind of like before Fantasy Flight did their two two rule book things, they they kind of have that kind of thing going on where you have like your learn to play, and then you got kind of like your reference on like the specifics on like what you have to do in a particular quest. So it, it's just kind of it. Really, there's not a lot to it. They could yeah. have had these both combined, but 
that's that that's just that's just my my little thing but if you're just looking at a particular quest you can just open up that quest book and just and and go now the uh, the game system here the game system is really really neat because it's a cooperative game at at its heart and so what you're going to be doing is you everybody's being dealt a hand of cards and I'll kind of take us through like a flow of return because the flow of return really is what's kind of unique here because at the beginning of everybody's turn, something bad's got to happen to the board state. You have to, you have to choose a bad thing to happen to you. So a bad thing could either be add a siege engine around Camelot. And one of the end game triggers is if there's 12 siege engines uh, around Camelot, the game is over evil wins. So you can either add one of those to Camelot. You could reduce your health by one. Everybody starts with health of four. You can go up to a max of six. You just represent it by a little dice. Um, but you could take a hit point and just like have nothing bad happen other than something bad happened to you. And at first, you I thought that wasn't, at first I thought that wasn't a big deal until you <laughs> don't get many. You, 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 and it's very hard to get health back. <laughs> In this game once you've taken hit points and then the final bad thing that you could choose to happen on your turn is that you could actually have a draw uh, an evil card and the evil card could do any number of things it what it does it just progresses the game in one of the quests um could be something like adds a despair card to the holy grail track so now it's harder to complete the holy grail quest or it moves a scal excalibur to like the uh, close one step closer to evil and if it gets all the way over to the evil side, then you lose Excalibur or um, lots of the cards, maybe adding more um, Saxons and, and and invaders to the, to the fights or the, you can add uh, combat cards to either like the black Knight or the just, joust. Or, or the black Knight joust or yeah. the uh, Sir Lancelot uh, uh, quest. And those ones are actually very interesting because it, has, it reads right on the text of those cards that you could either play this card face up and let everybody know what the value is, or you can play that card face down. And if you do it face down, then you get to draw a new good card back into in, into your hand. When, is, when we have discussion, I'm going to talk about this because from the unique perspective that I had for my first play, but yes, yes, that was... <laughs> no, no, it, it is unique because there is a there could be a traitor amongst you. <laughs> at higher player counts, there's almost guaranteed that there's going to be a traitor amongst you. And playing a card face down, well, it just reeks of traitor. But everybody does it because you want the you want a new good card. You just uh, do. <laughs> so, it, I got I got a funny story about that one too when we get to our discussion. But I'm holding um, off so much right now because I just want to jump into discussion about this because yeah. it's just so funny. So, so after something bad, you choose something bad to happen, then you get to do your action. And really you're limited to, well, there's actually a nice big list of actions you can do, but really what it boils down to is, do you want to move to a new location? That's an action. Um, do you want to perform the heroic action at that particular location? So if you're around the round table, you get to draw new cards. Um, if you are at the, you're at the, one of the various locations, you get to play one of your cards that's in your hand to whatever that location is actually doing. Um, then, or you can do, uh, well, what's another one? You can, oh, if you have a card that's like a special action, you can play that special action, which is usually like gain two life back or everybody gets one life back or um, cancel the effect of like the bad thing that's happening. Or maybe it's a Merlin card, which helps get rid of siege engines or cancel the effect of bad things. To connect you this back to components, the player board was, I mean, for my first play, I was able to read um, and, and understand a lot of my game turn just based on that player board. So, I mean, the whatever year this came out, I think they had this that whole player assist concept figured out mm -hmm. fairly well. Oh no, they're 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 absolutely fantastic. They actually lay it out quite well. Uh, one thing that you can do on your turn too is that you can sacrifice one of your life points to take a second action. <laughs> Wait, but and it, but it can't be the same action that was uh, that that you previously uh, just performed. No repeats. No re no repeats. And then once you've done that, done something bad, the Peruta gets the the bad side. You've taken your action. Okay, now it's now it's done. Now it passes on to the next player. So 
play is actually relatively quick in this game. Even at higher player counts, you're still bouncing from player to player to player actually really, 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 uh, really quickly, which is, which is a good plus about this game. You don't want to be sitting there and analyzing your board, say what you have to do on your turn, lots and everything. Lots of times it's really cut and dry, like what you should do. Am I, do you need to move to a new location? I might need to just move to a new location because I have no cards that'll help yeah. me where I currently am. So that that's a kind of so that, that's kind of like the game system um, overall. And again, you're doing this because certain quests, like the Holy Grail quest, um, you have to have a Holy Grail card in your hand to play it along this track. And as soon as this track gets all filled up, um, you're gonna win it. Or if it all gets filled up with the with the bad cards you lose it. And some of the quests have sword values on it. Like the Holy Grail quest, if you win it, you get three white swords. That's big in this game if you get the three white swords, plus you get to draw new cards, plus yeah, you get the, life. Each of those quests had uh, different significant uh, um, positive consequences and negative consequences. Right. The Holy Grail one is the big one. It's the three swords. Yeah. You're the three swords for good, three swords for bad. Um, the next one is like the Excalibur quest which is just simply just discarding a card and progressing the progressing the sword along its good and bad tracks that one's good worth two swords good or two swords bad yeah and that one's yeah. on like a pendulum swing because it starts right in the middle and then mm -hmm. you can either push it to the positive or as a trader try to you know do it so that you're not going to get accused <laughs> Oh, and that, that that's such a delicate that's such a delicate balance. Oh, and then and then any of the other then the any of the other quests are just simply just combat where you're playing your fight cards and whoever whichever side has a higher value evaluates and that side's either gonna win that side's gonna win the the the, the fight. Yeah. Um uh give me some knowledge on the unique mechanism that you think about this game. Um you un unique. Yeah. Um I can't say, I can't remember at this time, I can't remember how old like uh, cooperative games were at this, at the, wow. at this stage, but yeah. I, I, but I think this is one, I think this is one of the ones that was one of the first that introduces the hidden trader, yeah. which is always unique in the situation of cooperative because um, one of my favorite games that I love to play is dead of winter and dead of winter is that cooperative style with the trader um, and a mechanism and everything. So just, this to the meta game that can happen around a table because you can, there's oh. possibly somebody there <laughs> that can just absolutely just destroy everybody's plans. And there's just the accusations that go around. Oh man, you guys, I can't wait till we just have the discussion. Cause I know you're, oh, just, you're, man, just, you're I'm, just, I'm giggling. Um, have you ever played um, Battlestar Galactica? I have not uh, played Battlestar Galactica, but uh, that has been on my high, high. That's another hidden trader one that a lot of people kind of get into the table and, flip mode. Yeah, and the only reason that I have not played is I just don't. I don't own it, and I don't know anybody in my group that actually does own it. So if you're in the Saskatoon area and you own Battlestar Galactica and want to teach me, uh, <laughs> I, I will leap at that opportunity. Cool. Um, so I'm just kind of going, going around here. Uh, does it all connect? Um, yeah, it, 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 this is one of those, you, you don't hear of a lot of, um, Arthurian, um, legend, uh, themed games. There's not an abundance of them. And, uh, the, this one, this one does it actually pretty quite pretty well. Cause all the, all the characters are actual, uh, like, like the, the Lords and the, the Lords of, of, of Camelot of that, of that time. Uh, my minus Lancelot because Lancelot's missing. Yeah. In in, the, in this game, but no, and it's just like <laughs> one of my students just thought it was like it was absolutely great. He's like, well, I I drew King Arthur. Could King Arthur be the traitor <laughs> in this game? Yeah, he could be, which yeah. is absolutely <laughs> bizarre to think about, but it's just hilarious that that would be a, that could be a situation that comes up. But. Yeah. Are you ready for some conclusions? Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm ready to kind of conclude this one. It, it's a. It's a really cool game. It, it was one that I had brought out to a, a couple's game night, um, knowing that I was going to be playing with some, um, some people that weren't really, um, quote unquote gamers. Like they new to the uh, hobby people. They're they're kind of new newer to the hobby, 
um, a couple that one of the couples was ones that we do play with quite regularly. Um, so I brought this one along just kind of like, you know what? It's a cooperative game. It plays at a little bit of a higher player count too. I think the maximum goes up to is uh, seven. Holy which is, moly. Yeah, it goes up to seven. And then we had six people. So I thought that was really, really, uh, that's a good plus for it. And that, that's just because you could have uh, you could have the six knights around the round table and then one trader. Now, did the game drag on having that many people? No, we were still four person. No, we were still done within just over an hour type type deal. So it it doesn't drag. It doesn't drag, and it at if you're fully immersed in the game, yeah, it doesn't feel like you're. It's it's taking up a long a long time. Well, and we were five player at the school, weren't we? Yeah, and we did that one. And then that one, one again, just just over and just over an hour. We yeah. went and that one. We went like right to the bare bare bones. Like we filled <laughs> up the round table to the to the point where you had to read the rule book to see what happened when the trader was not revealed. Right, because <laughs> do you, and do you know, I was reflecting back. We had never actually ever gotten to that point where the trader was not revealed. And so, for those listening, uh, we found out that the rule was that if the trader was not revealed. Um, two white swords that are on the white uh, on around the right white table get flipped to black, <laughs> and so then the trader like it, it is bizarre. It, it, so, and if I knew that rule, should should we should we let the cat? I would have I would have ousted Norm as the trader because Norm uh, was the trader. I stood up from the table with arms pumped in the air, thinking in my head, "We are the champions." And Norm played this game perfectly because it was his first time. <laughs> and he kept, he kept playing the card that he had no idea what he was doing <laughs> which is complete rubbish <laughs> did i play the dupe pretty well no because it's not a hard game to understand <laughs> uh, the uh because uh, just to set the context it was you and i at the game uh game at club high, at school. At high school games club and three of the students were playing and i was I, I immediately, when I got the trader card, I was tried not to laugh because I thought, man, what is, the first time I'm playing, what are the odds? I get the card that requires the deepest level of acting and social delicateness because, ah, man, one of you guys put the card like the wrong way on the, on the, on the table and he's the trader. You jumped like you guys were dogpiling everybody <laughs> at the flinchiest moment and having fun with it. And I'm thinking I have to be very careful because they're going to turn and, into pickles. And, and for, and, and, and for me, I'm just, I'm just trying to get, get, get information about how people react to, to, to being, to being accused like right away. Now there's there's other people that are out there that would say um, being ousted as the trader very early on in the game is advantageous for the yeah, trader. Yeah, Twitter Andy uh, Andy Dennison from Good Board and the Ugly he uh, right. he said that 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 and, was a and then that that's definitely a good point, but that would not be a very fun game. Well, in my opinion, it would not be fun because when you get ousted as the trader, and you're you're kind of looking at this playing dumb looking at the trader side of your card, see what happens. Oh, what's on the other side of this thing? Oh, trader. Am I, does that mean I'm the trader? Does, does this count for anything? Because essentially when you're the trader, you're, you're, you're null from all other discussions. You don't have any cards in your hand anymore. And so when the game state comes or back around to your turn, you're down to only a couple options. Progressing evil, which is either adding a siege engine drawing a black card or ripping a card out of a player's hand that those are your only three options. And really the only main good option would probably be to add siege engines to Camelot. Cause at that point there's probably lots of siege engines. So you can push it. that timer really hard. Yeah. So as the rest of the players, we can kind of already predict, predict, Oh man, there's only five spots for siege. engines. we got like essentially five turns left until we now, get there's... There were so many times in that game where I would try to just nonchalantly play a card and man, it would hit the table and you guys were, well, do you know what you're doing? Do you know that if you did this, that it's not helping the group? And right away, I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, it's, okay. I didn't know what that means. I the amount, right away the went to the- A lot of times you, 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 you backed up and you're like, okay, oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, man. 
I oh, it, oh, I is, is that is that how this is played? Oh, I, I didn't understand that. So hard, so fast. I was backpedaling on so many moves. Oh yeah, I would reach for something, and and then you would be like, "Well, what are you doing that for?" Oh, oh, well, what was there something I should pay attention to? Oh yeah, I was, <laughs> I was. Oh, I was just trying to lay it on, just thick and enough. Yeah. And I, and I and I should have ousted you because I had a really strong suspicion that you were the traitor, <laughs> based on the Holy Grail track. Because oh. I knew you had Holy Grail cards, and then you just all of a sudden you just abandoned the quest, and you went somewhere else. And I was like, "Dude, why are you not Didn't helping you us?" Say you had a handful, and I'm like, "Oh no, I only had one." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we're like, "Oh, traitor." Oh, at that time it was so late in the game. Like, oh, if I oust him as the traitor, we're we're essentially we are going to lose the game. But then I did not know the rule of. And, and the moment you guys would start discussing traitor, I buried my eyes into my player card and started reading, and you know, moving my finger along the line so that you guys could visually see that I was trying to educate myself and be a good team player, and not go. <laughs> if I look at any of them in the eyes, I am going to get busted. Because I'm just going to be grinning like a Cheshire cat. <laughs> so this is what I'm trying to get is that this is actually a really cool game, especially if you do have a little bit higher player count, that five, that five to six player. It's a great cooperative. Like the decisions you have to make on your turn are relatively simple, but you do need to work together. Like you, you can't tell people what you have in your hand. Like that, that, that's a good rule that you should abide by that you have that hindered information of, I just have this hand of cards and, yeah. and maybe a player. Oh yeah. I didn't even mention that every, every knight has a special player power that yeah. they could, that they could utilize. Like King Arthur can trade cards with another player or uh, another knight can move from location to location all the time for, as a free action type deal. Um, so being able to expose that and just trying to educate everybody else around the table. Um, does this game have a quarterbacking issue? It could if you have that type of group. But you but, had said uh, that this was but, the first of its type too. Yeah, because now you have the because now you have that traitor. Yeah. And so <laughs> until you are absolutely certain that Norm is the traitor, <laughs> <laughs> anything that anybody says. You have to take with a grain of salt. You're like, are they a traitor? Are they actually telling the truth? Are they, they, they could just be bullcrapping me the entire way and, and, and playing me. Right? I remember play, looking at the table. I remember looking at, uh, at Antoine and, and he's like, you're the traitor. And I looked at him and went, I am. And he just, that, he just, that actually happened. Oh yeah. I looked at him and went, yeah, I am. And he just kind of could not understand that I would say something like that. And then, of oh. course, like, no, I just learned in the game. Uh, that, that's actually pretty awesome. So, like I said, it is a cooperative game. It's going to draw a lot of comparisons to, like, like that of, like, Pandemic and, like, the, the, the Forbidden, um, like, Sky and Forbidden, or sort of, yeah, Forbidden Sky is, yeah. is the new one, but Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert. Uh, what this one has actually going for is that it, has, it, it can utilize higher player counts. Which is really, which is really, and doesn't complicate the system at all. Now, is this is this one of these uh, uh, um, level markers of games where if someone says, "Oh, it's a hidden trader game," do you compare it to this one? Like when to, when I talk about area control, I'm always comparing everything to El Grande. Right, like um, like this 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 was definitely an influence for like the Dead of Winter, the 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 yeah, the Dead of Winter games. So this Where, is the the one who set the the foundation for. Yeah. No, I can't. I have to do. I would have to do some research. I can't remember what came out first, this or uh, this or Battlestar Galactica, but uh, um, that 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 whole hidden trader game. Like, you can put these ones all in that kind of that grouping, and then you just kind of just pick your theme yeah. that you would that you would that you want to that you want to go for. Do you want Arthurian legend? Do you want like space Battlestar Galactica, or do you want? Um, zombie apocalypse, really. Yeah, but but th this one does it so elegantly. Like, there's not, there's no convoluted rules like in Dead of Winter. Like, there's a whole bunch of like little things in that game. Um, this one is just simply just a card based, uh, card based system. As you just go to a quest, and all the cards can be used at that quest, unless if it's a spe special one like the Holy Grail. 
type of type of deal but all the other cards can be played on every other quest so my cards aren't more valuable at this one location than this location i can actually go anywhere and try to optimize what's in my hand at, at a particular location so i know the answer to this question but i'm going to ask it anyways for that uh for that singular listener out there um is oh, this we... something that's going to stay on your shelf oh absolutely i had i i went I went out of my way to try to find it because this is not in print anymore. It, it's actually harder to find. There are still some game stores out there that have a few on their shelves. Um, but one of the big things that I've got mine, I got mine through a BGG auction. And the big selling point was that this one actually came with the expansion. That oh. is really hard to find. We didn't play with the expansion, which actually adds a couple of really neat things. Uh, it's called Merlin's Company. And what it actually adds is there's a new deck of cards they're called travel cards. So every time you travel to a location, you have to draw a card and see what happens to you along your way. Oh, an event deck. So it's like, I'm going to go to the Holy Grail quest. I flip over this one. There's that all of a sudden Morgan says, nope, you're going to go fight the Black Knight. And now I have no choice but to actually go to that other location other than the location that I was supposed to go to. Oh, that's so cool. All right. Or it could just be nothing happened. So um, recommend? Highly recommend. Um, to try it at least once, especially if you're a fan of like the hidden trader. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, just to just to make note again. I, I know make... I know Norm is a fan of the hidden trader because he pulled it off beautifully. Oh, but I, you know what? I can't play that strategy with you guys because the gig is up, right? I mean, that was a one-off character that can't get reproduced because I mean, I can't I can't play that. I'm just learning the game, guys. <laughs> definitely worth it worth a try um the the expansion is not a necessity to to play to play this game especially at like amazon prices right now for this the expansion alone is like 80 90 dollars yikes that's for the expansion but uh you can still find copies of shadows over camelot for actually i would highly recommend this one it's going to stay on my shelf for a while i'm glad you have it too because i had so much fun and what? man talk it about a chunk and of like, and like, and like now, like some, some people are like, well, we don't want to play, we don't want to play pandemic and we've played pandemic to death and pandemic at this time for us is almost a sol almost a solved game. We kind of know the right combination of characters that will optimally like give us the best chance of winning all the time. This one doesn't really have that because there's so much variability on the way, the, on the way there's so many moving parts to the evil. Yeah. So, Yeah cool shadows, shadows over camelot well i'm yeah i had i had so much fun with that game it'll be interesting to play i have that. yet i've yet to have a bad experience with that game yet yeah, well I, you know what? I, i've not had a bad experience that's probably the greatest praise you can give it because i mean and i have and i haven't even been the traitor yet <laughs> <laughs> oh all right so uh you ready to hand over the reins sure to, uh, to give Give me some Martin Wallace goodness. Oh, here we go. So I'm going to do London second edition, which came out in 2017. As you said, the designers. <laughs> you're you're doing the cult of the new. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, second edition, right? But it's still kind of cult of the new. So I, I get to I get the tap dance in that gray area, which I'm really good at. <laughs> um, the artists were Mike Atkinson, Natalia Boric, and Prezemsla Sobiecki. Well done. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, published by Osprey Games. Um, let's get into uh, let's get into that groove that we do and read that overview. So, here we go. In London, you will take the role of prominent architects tasked with rebuilding the city after the Great Fire and guiding the development of the city up to the dawn of the 20th century. You must balance your vision, your finances, and the needs of the city's inhabitants if you are to be remembered as an icon of London. The game has four core elements, building, money, land, and poverty. It wouldn't be a Martin Wallace game without some poverty. <laughs> Each of these elements influences the other as well as affecting your prestige, which is known as victory points in this case. On your turn, you will develop the city for your future benefit. Buy land, gather resources, or run your part of the city, taking advantage of the area you have developed. Money will affect your ability, ability to do these things, 
but it is not the goal itself. Only the architect with the most prestige will be remembered in the end. So how you play this game is, um, the, again, the objective of the game is, you know, gain the most victory points as in every mm-hmm. good Euro. But uh, during the game in clockwise order, you're going to, on your turn, you're going to draw uh, a card either from the top deck or from the tableau of discarded cards. And um, after that, the second part of your turn is you get to choose uh, from four options. So you'll, you'll draw your card to start your turn. Then you can develop your city, which means that you're going, you start off with a hand of cards and these cards are um, city cards and they can be um, a multitude of things from uh, guilds, businesses, buildings that you're going to develop in the city. And um, the interesting thing that I liked about the developing the city part is you're in front of you, you have a blank tableau. So every card that you start, um, I've, I kind of refer to it as a, a block or a neighborhood in your part of the city is a pile. So every pile that you start is a developed area. What's going to happen is that when you run your city, each area that you, you create is going to develop one poverty. And like I said, it's a Martin Wallace game and loans and poverty are part like digging yourself out of the hole is so Wallace-esque. So, um, but when you develop your city, you'll play, let's say I'm playing a blue card down. I have to pay for that with another blue card that I will put in the, um, the general area discard, which will have two rows. And I mean, we can get into explaining that mechanism. But um, yeah, to play a card, if I'm playing a brown uh, development card, city card, I have to discard the same card. So it's always this matching matching thing. So in your hand, you're trying to balance, hand manage uh, what's going on there. The next thing uh, is you can buy land. And that, I've never played the first edition. And the first edition, the burrows used to be on a map. That's the big change from what I understand is that the burrows are now cards that right. you can buy. And I'll get into the burrows a little bit deeper later on. The next thing you can do after you do your initial draw your card is um, you can run your city. And that's the beauty of this that's, game. That's, is, that's the crux of the game. Is that you're, these little micro engine buildings that, are, that you, you create. And it's not, you don't just play that long-term game and, and start to slowly build this engine and design this engine. This is one and done. And then we're moving on to the next engine. Um, kind of recycling, you know, building over top the areas that you've created on your tableau. Um, so the running the city, you basically can run it in any order because some cards might give you money that you need to trigger another card to buy you prestige points and so on and so forth, um, or to remove poverty. There's so many dynamic actions that these cards um, do that it would take a long time to describe the whole picture. But um, yeah, running your city, thats to me, that's the, um, the, the element of this game is that engine building that I'll get to. Uh, and then the last one, I mean, like I said, if it's a hand management, you can just choose to draw three cards and get that hand back up. So that's yeah. basically did, did, the did overview. You, did you mention when you run your city, like you, uh, you like, it then it's like for some cards, it's like done. Like you have to flip them face down. Yeah, yeah. And, you, and they don't, they know, they no longer trigger for the rest so, of the game. Now, now you got to build up your neighborhood again. That's a perfect segue into the whole mechanisms part. Is is it's engine building, it's card drafting, and it's tableau building. So what you were just saying about the tableau building is, is yes, there are certain cards, in fact, that are um, recurring. Like I believe the, the having the electricity and the streetlights um, running through the night that you have to pay for reduces poverty. And I like that thematic connection with some of the card actions. Um, and then some of them, like you said, once you run it and it gives you four coins, you flip it over because that neighborhood has now been expended and can now mm-hmm. be built upon. Um, as I said, once you run your city, you, you run it in any order you want to efficiently generate the maximum resources you right. can. And, and, and as much as you want. You don't have to run no, every single yeah. card. Absolutely. You can wait off um, because the Martin Wallace part comes in after you run your city is 
for each stack of cards that you have or each neighborhood that you create, you generate one poverty and it starts to pile up. And you, I mean, there's been times where I've run my city engine and I've been behind in, you know, not ahead as far as my resources go or as far as my victory points go or as, as far as my, uh, um, my money goes. So there's yeah. times where it's like, oh man, I just have to run this. I have to take the hit because I have to build this new engine now. Right. I remember this when I was learning the, when I was learning it, um, you were like saying, like, don't, like you gotta, you gotta keep in mind that you're going to get poverty for every pile of cards, every neighborhood that you have in your city. So you don't, you don't want to go. And then I just remember that very first time. And then you're like, I'm putting down five piles. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Cause I had, I had uh, coached you and, you know, start off with three piles. Yeah. Go three or four, go been, three or four. Yeah. Cause this had been at the point, probably my sixth or seventh time playing it. And I had played it safe like that. And I thought, what happens if I push on the gas pedal just a little bit more and it's sort of like an experiment and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause in this game, it, it up. <laughs> yeah. In this game, like you can't get away from poverty. Poverty is no. going, you're going to accumulate it. So at times you're just going to just, okay, screw it. I'm just going to accumulate. I, I just need money and I don't care if I'm how much poverty I'm going to accumulate. I'm just going to get a buttload of money. Yeah. For my, and for I, my turn the um because the so poverty I, thing only comes into play at the very end where you that's compare the, that's the you, unique you have, thing i want to talk yeah, about yeah okay you go for it um the uh well the so the engine building brilliant the tableau we just talked about increasing decreasing those well you can't decrease the neighborhoods once you build them they're there the card drafting um when you discard or when you have to pay for building your city and you put a card in the discard rows it's available to the next player to, to pinch. So there's times mm. where I'm thinking, I need to get this card out and I have to pay with this card, but I want that card later on. So I really hope you don't see the value in this that I see. Or, and or, you're, you're, or, yeah. you're, you're hoping that, oh, I really hope that Ryan's engine doesn't require this, 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 this particular piece. Well, and the timing too is if I can see that you have to run your engine then you might not in this, you know, pick up the three cards or I, it's, it's that whole delicate balance of what are you doing where I can do something that isn't going to benefit you and it's not going to, you know, hinder my progress. So there was that whole Zen kind of balance that I was watching too going on. Um, how do you score points? The, <laughs> I think it comes down <laughs> to how do you not get punched in the face with poverty? <laughs> <laughs> so you score points on the city cards when you run your city in certain cases right, right. and you score points on your borough cards when you purchase right. them in certain cases um and it comes down to the end of the game which i'll 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 explain a bit but then i'm going to explain it in greater detail on on that unique mechanism uh later on sorry so it, yeah it's all about poverty and at the end of the game it comes down to who has the less poverty is going to be in a, in a, I would say a, a more beneficial or advantageous point scoring position. What do you think? Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can see where you're going with that. Because I mean, like you said, you're going to have poverty you can't, it's a resource. The poverty is a resource in this game and it's a matter of managing and limiting this poverty as much as you can. Um, but I've have seen games where where like when I was playing with Jeff, he just took he didn't care. He took on poverty. He took on loans because he pushed his his prestige so high up that at the end of the game, he was able to pay off those penalties and still through the math be at, you know at a, at a pretty strong um, prestige level. Yeah, advantage. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean. It comes that like a typical Euro. How do you win the game? Get the most victory points. Mm -hmm. um, so opinions outside in the box. It is elegant. It's elegant. It's plain. It doesn't flash. And I'm thinking it's very British. It has prestige because it's a, it's a, about an eight and a half by 11 kind of two inches deep box. It's dark green in color, which is kind of very vintagey color. And it's very a very delicate kind of white line scrolling framing out the box with a nice mm. 
a script London of that, you know, the 1600s era kind of font that you would associate. So to me, it's this very um, less is more as far as the graphic arts go. Um, and uh, yeah, to me, it was very appealing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, 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 it definitely doesn't stand out on a shelf, but, uh, but no, it, it's got, it's got a lot. Yeah. You think you got mentioned it right on the bat. When you, if you pull this off the box, you're, you are drawn by like, Ooh, what is, what is this? Because this looks like, 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 like royalty almost. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. Like from a graphic arts perspective, the only clues that they had to let you know it was inside the box was the font and the scrolling and the color. And right. Cause even the back of the box doesn't even have a picture of the gameplay. Does it? I, no, I don't believe no. so. And I think, I think it's just a, a small description of like what the game is, but it doesn't actually have a picture of like any of the cards or anything like that. So that, that it, it's just a little box of mystery. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, to, that was, a, I, I'm stuttering right now. Um, that was the most impressive thing to me was that it drew me in immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as the components go, it's a box full of cards. Right. Pretty much. I mean, it's got your, your chits and stuff like that and your poverty cubes, but it's predominantly a box of cards and the, the card, um, we're talking components, the card quality. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, nice, good, rigid cards. I believe it's that woven paper, yeah, that, uh, that, kind of li that linen finish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I immediately sleeved those because I thought there's nothing else to this game, but cards. So it's, it's going to, uh, it's going to require some, you know, protection. Um, there's a little <laughs> player board for the discards and that's, it's, it's so simple. It's, it's basically mm -hmm. tableau and cards. Yeah. It's just got, yeah. Where you discard your cards and yeah, I think it even has your victory point track on there too. And yeah. And, uh, and the, uh, the poverty penalty scale that I'll get into when I talk about the unique mechanism, the rule book, uh, readability, layout, learning curve reference. Um, uh, I mean, I've, I have a few Osprey games and they so far are really good with clear, precise, uncluttered information and they get to the point. Um, not too much flavor text, not too much narrative. It's just, this is, it's very linear, very straightforward. And the formatting, uh, I'm able to flip through the book and find exactly where I, what I need to find by the nice, big, bold topic headings. Um, I don't know if you had a flip through the book at all, but uh, uh, I know I never saw the the rule book at all. Yeah, and it was my, like a, like a good restaurant's menu. Um, that not that many pages. It was it was nice and clean and straightforward. Game system, game style. Well, we talked a lot about it. It's an engine builder, over and over and over to the <laughs> point where you're probably going to bring the counter to this, but. For me, I loved it because it was, it was, here's a formula, run it, successful. Yes, try another formula, build another engine, run it, successful. The, the cards, those burrow cards, I saw those as, because I keep talking about this engine build and repeat and repeat and, and build a new engine and build a new engine. These burrow cards to me are like a transmission for the new mm -hmm. engine. Because you drop this new burrow card in, um, most of the time it's it's refreshing your hand limit, it's removing poverty, it's giving you money or and or giving you victory points or prestige points. So that's it's like drop a new transmission in, get me all stocked up, and let me look at what engine this new transmission is providing me. What do you yeah, think they, about that they, analysis? No, they they were they were really good. I think you banged on because you're you're gonna pick one up really quite early in the game and yeah it's going to work for you for a little while but uh ev eventually you're going to be like oh man it I, I i can't sustain what i'm what i'm doing anymore i need i need a new burrow i need something else that kind of like gives me another little jump start yeah and there's a cool synergistic connection between the burrows and the cards as well because there's some cards where you can play that that penalize the other person for having uh, I think it's the fire department card where 
where oh, you the, can the, kind of like the, the riverfront properties, yeah, the riverfront property stuff. So there's positive and negative cards in that deck that affect um, if you have a lot of riverfront properties on the north and south of the Thames. So or Thames. Um, uh, yeah, I think synergistically, all those cards work very well together. The the card titles and the card images and the card, uh, you know, what they meant if they're a statue or if they were, you know, a uh, economics card, it made thematic sense of what was on the card for what the card was doing. I understood it, and and I mean, uh, sometimes with the Euro the, the European games, um, the suspension of disbelief has to be pretty deep for you to go, oh, these cubes I'm pushing are actually bananas or. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I thought that the cards did a good job on on having that theme that you know being architects theme connected, the unique mechanism. Um, the unique mechanism to me is the way poverty is used in this game. I don't know if that's a mechanism, but I think Martin uh, a, Wallace, cool, a cool element that yeah. this game brought. Um, I've, I've yet to see with other designers, um, being connected to like Martin Lawrence, Martin, Martin Lawrence, uh, Martin Wallace is so connected to loans and digging yourself up out of debt that this is his groove. And the way he does, the way he uses the poverty cubes when you run your city, um, and the way he uses the poverty cubes at the end of the game, and this is where I'm going to connect that whole how do you win. At the end of the game, you you basically go through this, as typical, this menu of, you know, you do this, you do this, you do this. Uh, what, I, what I, as I was reading it and kind of coming up with some notes for this, the end of the game happens when at the end of your turn, the city card pile runs out. When that happens, everybody else still gets a turn. And right away I thought, well, how darn polite of those Brits to allow <laughs> the game. We could see the deck running down. Like we can visually see the timer. So there's is no surprise that the end of the game's coming. And even then you say, oh, I'm done my turn and there's no cards left. So why don't you guys have one more turn? Um, and I mean, I understand that too, because you've been working on this quick engine and you want to just get one last, even if it's a half run, you want to be able mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to have one last, you know, swing at the, you know, swing at the pinata. I don't know. I started that metaphor and it just kind of <laughs> went off, but yeah, you just want one last ditch effort to try and salvage something because at the end of the game, every card in your hand is one poverty cube. Mm-hmm. So if you're holding the, you know, if you're not putting cards down and you don't see, if you're not building your city and you don't see that deck coming down, then shame on you because you, you know, um, unless you, this is your first play, but um, yeah, having cards in your hand, poverty cubes, you pay back loans. If you take a $10 loan, five bucks. So you're paying, you need, you should pay back your loans because the next one is for every unpaid loan, you lose seven prestige points. Mm-hmm. There's that Wallace thing again. Yeah. Gotta, um, gotta punish you for not paying back your loans. This is the, the, the one part that uniqueness that I want to point out as far as how he uses poverty for scoring. When you get to this point, the, per, the player with the fewest poverty cubes, let's say you and I are playing or you and I and Jeff are playing and I have the fewest poverty cubes. I have seven. I put those into the into the box. Boom. Okay. You guys now take off seven. Jeff takes off seven. Then you go to the scale and you see the remaining poverty cubes I have, I'm penalized how many victory points or prestige points. Right. To me, that tells me that the poverty isn't just a penalty or a you know, slap on the hand. It's a negative resource in the game. It's good. Like you said, it's happening whether you like it or not. It's going to happen. And then how much poverty am I accumulating in regards to other players? Because if we're all pretty tight, I have no problem taking poverty yeah. and, 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 and accumulating it. Because like I said, if we, if we were all just like within just like five uh, of, of one another and everything, it's, it's not, it's, that's, that's not super detrimental. No, 
on, on that scale, but it does, it does accumulate more and more and more, <laughs> the, the more, the, the bigger the gap is. It just gets worse and worse and worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, does this all connect? I think so because I mean, it's an engine building game. The, the, the cards work synergistically with the borough cards. Um, the theme, your architects trying to rebuild London after the fire. I mean, I, I, I buy it. Right. I mean, and that ties into my conclusion. The game's main point is from a theme perspective, your architects rebuilding London after the great fire. And that's what you're all doing at the table. You're just trying to build these neighborhoods, run these neighborhoods, rebuild them again, run these neighborhoods. And um, it comes down to who, who can run the most ef efficient and, and effective engine. And I'm still trying to figure that one out. Um, are there better engine builders? I mean, it's like apples and oranges. Uh, I had said yeah. that certain engine builders that I played, wow. you're planning the long game. Yeah, I, I, I would interject here. If you like engine builders, you'll like this game. You just may not like it in the way you want it. Because for me, I like engine builders, but I like my engine building up over time and I don't want it to fall apart in the middle, which in this game, I set up an engine. I'm like, oh, this thing is really awesome. This is going to be run really cool. I run my city, and all of a sudden, all my cards are face down. Now I have nothing again. I was like, what? What's yeah. going on here? I mean, I don't get to run it like over and over again. And you're like, yeah, when no. When you first learned that, and I told you, no, no, you, you're going to end up running about 10 engines. And then you kind of thought, oh, I don't know if I like this. Well, that, <laughs> but after, after you think about it, we, we played it quite a few times um, that, well, that one particular week. Yeah. And, I, I, I started to appreciate it. I was like, oh, they, okay, I do this. Okay, I run it. It's done. But at least I've got cards in my hand that I know what I'm going to do for my next engine. And I'm already starting to plan like two or three engines. Yeah. Like, it, like, like, like in, in advance. And I'm not going to run all of my city. I'm going to leave pieces in it because I've got these cool cards that are going to combo with cards that I've already got laid down. And yeah, it it's really cool. If you do like that kind of aspect of like, Hey, I'm going to build up something so that I'm going to run it. And I'm going to get a big reward. You get to do that because you get to do it. Like you said, about like eight to 10 times in a game. If you're a player that likes to pull levers and push buttons, regardless of the outcome, you're going to love this game. Oh, you know, no, I, I, absolutely. Just, just, just the, and the sheer amount of decision points for such an elegant and simple card game, the, the decision points are like, through the roof like there, there's times i'm sitting there and i'm like i don't want to discard any of these cards oh i know i, I want to play them all but i can't yeah the uh in our, in our conclusion notes there's uh there's one area that's like use a quote and the best quote that i could come up with this is why just build one engine when you can build many oh that's that's that, that and that's the key too yeah, and, and, um, and, and how wide does your engine go? Do you only go well, four? Bro do you only go four blocks, or do you go six? That's the next thing. I'm like, uh, uh, what's the limit? Like, how can you go ten neighborhoods, like ten piles? Is that crazy, or is that going to break the end? To me, I just want to play this again and and like pull the lever, push the button, and see if I can break the engine. Yeah, I want to blow it'll... it up. And I think that it all goes by with whoever you're playing with. Like if you're if you're a person playing conservatively and not running very many neighborhoods, you're probably all you're not gonna want to go much more than they are. Because you're gonna accumulate a much higher poverty than they than they will be. You know, and I haven't even started considering the in-game strategy playing against someone who's who's you know playing a different strategy. Do you do you try to mimic? Do you try to do the parallels or do you just be so asymmetrical that well i don't think any of the games we played i don't think either of us did the same thing twice oh, in, yeah. in, a, in a whole week so for me bottom line uh if you like engine building you you need to either try this game and if you try this your brain's gonna go ooh, scratching the itch and you'll walk out with the game i i mean i guarantee it um, well, that, isn't that what happened with wise, you? It was totally reasonable. Sorry, what was that? <laughs> isn't that what happened to you? You played the game and you're like, yoink, off the shelf. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I, I did my research and then I saw a couple run throughs and uh, and, you know, looked at that and went, yep, yep, that's exactly what I need. The whole repeat, run, repeat, run, repeat. I mean, blow up the engine. Who cares? You're going to build another one really quick and you can recover from that blown transmission. So, yes, try the game. Um, the consequence might be that you have to buy it and that's not a bad consequence to have. <laughs> or somebody in the group has to buy it. Yeah, or somebody in the group has to have. So, Ryan, in closing, what do you have to say about either of those games? Um, both are shelf staples, I think, for both of us. I know London is most likely going to remain on your shelf for quite a while. Shadows over Camelot's going to stay on my shelf for quite a while because they they, they kind of fill those little niches in, in in our in our gaming groups and our in our gaming um lifestyle so yeah uh i think we picked a couple a couple good ones this time around yeah i i'm i quite agree with that well on that note i think we should wrap things up because uh we want to keep things nice and short and sweet and nice and toit nice and toit nice and toit <laughs> <laughs> oh and being canadian um i'll just say sorry um well yeah that being said thank you for listening to us this is cardboard conjecture i'm your host norm and i'm ryan and we'll catch you later we are bridge city board gamers and you can find us on youtube you can follow us on Twitter at BC Board Gamers. Our Facebook page is Saskatoon Tabletop Games Community. And on Board Game Geek, Guild number 3039.